Welcome to the One in One Podcast, where below average podcaster chats with an above average athlete. I'm your host, Bridget Bay. My guest today is Jerry Wickstead, who played basketball at Dickinson College from 2011 to 2015, where he became the leading scorer and was named the D3 Player of the Year as a senior. Jerry, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Bridget. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here. It's going to be a great time. It is. I'm really excited to have you. And you grew up in Morristown, New Jersey, which is South Jersey, right outside Philly. Unfortunately, that means for you, you know some of my family. I had my cousin Taylor on the podcast a couple weeks ago who you grew up playing with. And you know my Uncle Matt, my Aunt Donna, my other cousin Shelby. So kind of funny. Yeah, legends, a lot of them. Uh, I I have a lot of fond memories of uh, the Burke family and spending a ton of time with them in Morristown growing up and uh, playing a lot of basketball with T along the way. Um, So great people. They're great people. Did you get invited to their pool a lot? Because I do not. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I did. In fact, Mr. B still invites me to his pool. Uh, last year during uh, you know, summer 2020, I, I went over there at least once, maybe twice to get a swim in. And, uh, you know, we distanced and did that whole song and dance. But, uh, yeah, it was the best. I, I still get the occasional invite from the Burks. I'm a lucky man. Very nice. More than I can say about myself. <laughs> so outside Philly, does that mean you're a Philly sports fan or are you a New York sports fan? Oh, Philly across the board. I uh, and I, I love Notre Dame. That's I'm, I'm a, from a large Irish Catholic family, and that's that's kind of in my blood. But um, it's amazing how people will hold it against you when you say that you're a Philadelphia sports fan when you leave <laughs> the kind of you know the greater Philadelphia area. But uh, yeah, and I'm an unapologetic Birds fan, and um, you know Phils, Sixers, Flyers. But uh, um, yeah, sometimes I could do without some of the heartache. It's almost kind of like a rite of passage. Um, <laughs> well, you guys had that Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think my dad needed that more than I did. I'm glad he got one before <laughs> he passed. Um, but yeah, the joke was that he, uh, you know, we had to get him to, uh, you know, we had to get him to the uh, uh, to the parade because it was just like, you know, these kind of things just just never happen. Um, so yeah, it's uh, I'm glad that the birds came through for him finally. Yeah, and oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that your father has passed away. Oh no 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 no! I mean, he, the Eagles aren't going to win another one before you know, he does pass away at some point. Like it's oh, it's Jesus. a once in a, it, it's a, it's a once in a lifetime thing. Like that oh, franchise boy. only breaks your heart. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I have a, a few friends for like. Well, I went to college in Pennsylvania, so a lot of my friends are Philly fans. So that was a that was a fun time. I was definitely rooting for them, and you know, I like to see them do well. Like, I guess I'm technically a Jets fan. But so I'm, you know, I just live remotely through my friends that have had recent success. <laughs> how, so how does that work with the Jets and the Giants? You know, like, are the Jets kind of, do they attract a more kind of working class fan base? Or is it like a North Jersey thing? And then people in New York root for the Giants. Like, What's the divide? Like, what, where is it in, 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 uh, for, in, in the sports franchises up in New York? I've never understood it. That's a really great question. And unfortunately, you're asking the wrong person. I, you might be right with the working class. And maybe it's like... It started out as like different parts of the city rooted for different teams. But a lot of times you'll find that Jets fans are also Mets fans and then Giants fans are also Yankee fans. But then like some of my friends are Giants and Mets fans and my boyfriend is a Jets and Yankees fan. So I don't know. I don't know what to tell you on that. It's very confusing. Yeah, yeah. uh, Sounds like there are a lot of... um kind of split loyalties up there. That's not a problem you're going to have in Philadelphia. Most loyal fans around. That's a really good point. It's kind of like 
the only, and I'm sure other, you know, LA, you got LA, I'm sure there's other cities that I'm not thinking of where you have two teams. You're right. If, if there's that one team, the whole city can rally around them. And yeah, we don't have that up here. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but when you've only got one team, uh, you know, the odds that your heart's going to get broken, just kind of, they kind of go up. That's true. So, That's yeah. a great point. So also a Notre Dame fan, huh? You, you've had a rough couple of weeks with the football season. They've really like come down to the wire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I texted my one buddy. You know, I've got my cronies that I text during the game and, uh, you know, my cousins and, and friends that I grew up with. Uh, but yeah, I texted my one buddy. I was like, man, I'm not even sure I enjoy watching Notre Dame play anymore. Seriously. <laughs> like it's it's so intense. It's um and they're just, it, they never make your life easy. Like I, the Florida State game, you know, ended around, you know, whatever, 1130. And I was up in my bed until one o'clock, just kind of, you know, shaking with, with energy. Um, yeah. I think it's something, I think it has everything to do with the fact that, especially for Notre Dame and college football, it's like one loss and, you know, the whole season's kind of over. So you're really hanging on every play. So you're hanging on every quarter, um, you know, you're hanging on every game to make, you know, to, to make sure that you can, you stay on track towards the playoff um, to, to the games that really, really matter. Plus it's also, you know, it's Notre Dame. Like we, we haven't won a title in my lifetime. It's kind of, you know, I'm going to get the same kind of, um, you know, experience like my dad with the birds. Like it's just, <laughs> I don't expect to see a Notre Dame team win, um, you know, in my lifetime, but uh, if it does happen, um, yeah, I'm not even sure, you know, what that's going to feel like, but uh, yeah, a diehard Notre Dame fan, just, just really the football though. Not so much the basketball. Okay. Um, all right. So, yeah. You know, I, it's hard with Notre Dame football because there's, you know, all these really good schools that have good football teams. Or maybe I should, like, really good school. I'm not sort of talking academically. I'm just talking kind of, like, big programs. Notre Dame has, like, academic requirements. So if I'm a really good prospect and I'm looking at, like, the tailgate at Alabama versus having to take, like, calculus my first semester at Notre Dame, I, you know, it's so crazy. But that's why it's really impressive to see how good they are. They're still a top 10, top 12 team, whatever they're ranked these days, but they're still a top program, which is cool to see. Yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite things to hold over other fan bases is the, uh, the standards that Notre Dame maintains. Um, you know, I, I do like to pretend and like, I, you know, who knows what the athlete, uh, athlete experience is, is really like, um, you know, Notre Dame. I'm sure they have a lot of tutors and kind of things handed to them. They're kind of guided, you know, through the school. But, um, you know, I, I do like the idea that, you know, the, the kids there are true student athletes. That's another big kind of perk to rooting for Notre Dame, you know, that they're, yeah. the experience that they go through is real as opposed to, you know, everything's just kind of handed to them on a silver platter. And it's also nice to know that like a lot of the football guys, when they graduate, you know, they're going to have a real education with a real degree that they can, you know, if, if football doesn't work out for them and it doesn't work out for, you know, 70 75 percent of the roster you know they can go out and do real things um, yeah and end up as people that aren't so different from you or i which is a cool thing absolutely yeah notre dame uh grad like that piece of paper takes you a long way for sure <laughs> yeah 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 four for 40 that's what they always say Mm-hmm. absolutely but you said you're not really a basketball fan there not what what do you have against mike bray he's awesome Oh, Mike Bray is the worst. Really? Uh, he, he, yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not a big Mike Bray guy. If, if Mike Bray coached at any other school, um, I feel like he would have been canned a long time ago. But Notre Dame is such an intense football school; they're kind of content to, you know, back when they were in the Big East. You know, you you win the Big East tournament, you know, once every ten years. You have a Big East Player of the Year, and then you get knocked out in the second round of the NCAA tournament. And they they had a really good run a couple years ago when they won the ACC tournament. Um, yeah, yeah, they Pat went to the and yeah, and then they went to the Elite Eight, and they gave Kentucky all they wanted. It was a great game, but uh, I just I, I, I 
I don't like Mike Bray at the end of games. Um, I think his X's and O's are a little bit, you know, um, I think they leave a lot to be desired. And then I also think um, just their recruiting has really, really struggled. And that's why they've been yes. pretty weak the last the last couple of years. I went to see them play when I was down at, at Woodbury Forest in Virginia at UVA. And it was just the brand of basketball that they were playing was just it was really hard to watch. Um, so, yeah, I'm not a not a big Mike Bray guy. Interesting about Mike Bray, a lot of people don't know, is that he's a Coach K disciple. Yes, um, that's right. And, uh, yeah, like I, 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 I talk to T about this all the time. But, um, yeah, I used to have a lot more kind of respect and love for Duke. And uh, it has kind of gone out the window, too. So the fact that Mike Bray has been associated with, uh, you know, Coach K, uh, you know, a long time ago is a little bit of a red flag for me. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you on so much of that. I do, I do personally like Mike Bray. I think I like his personality more than his X's and O's. I don't really look into that as much because I'm not, like, I'm a really big Villanova fan. Um, you might know this about my family, but my dad played baseball there, and we're just big Nova fans. So that's, like, the team I really will, like, root for and sort of study their X's and O's. But I just like Mike Bray as a person. And then what you said about Coach K, yeah, a few years ago I had so much more respect that, that for him than, the past couple seasons, you know, some of the things he said in, in press conferences, how he handled the grace or the lack of handling the grace analysis yeah. situation. <laughs> There's just so much. I, I definitely agree with you there. <laughs> yeah, the, the the thing that I'm dreading the most with this upcoming college basketball season is the goodbye tour that Coach K is going to get. I mean, it's going to be so <laughs> obnoxious and over the top. And, you know, honestly, part of me wonders if, if he – really wants that you know i'm like it, like does coach k really want to go out at unc and get a standing o when he goes out on that floor for the like, i feel like if you're as intense of a competitor as you prop yourself up to be you know you should invite the booze like invite the hate and then go win that last game at unc yeah. um so yeah the, the goodbye tour thing that's really pervasive in sports right now i'm just i'm so over you know it's almost like we're, we're you know, the media and you know, sports fans all over the place are acting like Coach K's passed away. It's like he's retiring. He's not dead yet. It was the same thing with Derek Jeter, like Dwayne Wade, yet. Dirk DeVitz. It's just, just like my <laughs> pop. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not excited about that. But, you know, I'm a sucker. I'm going to tune in for, you know, UNC at Duke like I do every single year. It is the Everyone greatest. Everyone should. If you're a basketball fan, you need to watch that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I need to work on Mr. B to get some of those tickets. Oh, um, same. No, don't take mine. <laughs> I feel like I finally like I've, I've I've gotten somewhat of an in. You know, I had his kid on the podcast. He really liked it. Don't come in and don't take what I've earned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that truly is a bucket list. I mean, I've been to Cameron for a game, but a, a Duke UNC game in Cameron that that is. I mean, I, that that's that's like the pinnacle of. Um, sport you know it's mm -hmm. just the, the spectacle of the um, of the rivalry in that environment it's it's got to be awesome um, even though i will say the camera crazies are um maybe a little bit of a step down from back in the day from what i i think they used to be maybe, maybe that's just me being cynical saying that you know our kind of culture is <laughs> neutered from where it was 10 15 years ago but um yeah, maybe not yeah, no, I, I'm not sure. And it's been so weird. I, there's no stands in the, there are no fans in the stands last season. And it was like particularly weird to watch the Duke game without any of the crazy people with their face painted and all that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm, I'm excited to have fans back in the building. You know, hopefully we can get through the you know, Delta variant and, and you know, fans will be, and I, I, I honestly, even for Coach Casey, like, his goodbye, you know, to, to the sports shouldn't be in an empty camera and indoor. Um, oh, he'll come back for another year then. 
he's not going to retire and uh, yeah, an empty yeah, camera. yeah. And, and I think everybody would welcome that and understand that, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. One more thing I have to say about Notre Dame basketball. You're talking to one of the biggest women's Notre Dame basketball fans. It's been a rough few years, but prior to that, it was so much fun. So, so what's your connection there to Muffet McGraw? And I mean, she was, she's retired now, but um. she is. I uh, love the assistant coach. Um, you know, a lot of people didn't love this the, her first season, but you know, the first time you're doing anything, it's you know, you can only get better, right? And it was such a weird year with uh, with COVID and all of that. But no, I I like her. I just always liked Notre Dame. I, I always liked Muffet McGraw, and then they got sort of better um you know they won in 2001 they they were good fell off a little bit as far as like the national stage they're still in the tournament every year but they got really good again in like 2011 and i just kind of got back on the bandwagon i guess at first but now i'm a diehard so you can't even call me a band a bandwagon fan because i'll watch all their games and they were below 500 last year oh wow that's that's pretty unbelievable because you know i I follow um, sports, you know, college recruitment way more than I should, but you know, so occasionally I'll get you know the nuggets with about women's you know, basketball and Notre Dame's like they recruit well. I mean, the, the one girl I can't remember, maybe Sam Burnell, I can't remember her name. Mm-hmm. She's, yeah, she's the so, top. She was yeah. the number one overall recruit in the country. She um, was, yeah. So yeah, that, that's that's uh, pretty wild that they that they've struggled. <clears throat> yeah, you know, it. What happened was they had like five kids leave their basically whole starting lineup left to go to the WNBA after the 2019 season and then it's really just been two years that they've struggled and you know the kids will they just they didn't have the playing time yet and they're gonna get that and and they'll get better and that recruiting will go back up I think yeah yeah it's interesting some programs have to um they have to rebuild whereas others just reload every single year you know like a duke in basketball or a yukon in in women's basketball um but i i like the fans that stick it out more like yukon basketball fans duke basketball fans i i got nothing for you i don't need to have a conversation with you but like the the fans of and with philly you understand with notre dame football you understand it's you stick it out through the rough parts you know because that's who you are. You're a fan. I could easily have been a, a UConn women's basketball fan. I have a lot of respect for that program. It's not like I'm against them by any means. But, you know, it's like there's no fun. They just they kill teams. Like, what's the fun in watching that? Yeah, yeah. And when you do struggle for a long, long time, it makes, you know, it makes the triumphant moments just that much, that much sweeter. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. All right, Jerry. Let's get into your career here. We uh, we took a deep dive into to all that, which I liked. I loved it. But let's see. How did you get into basketball? That's a that's a great question. And Taylor, uh, your cousin Taylor, is really at the heart of that story. Um, so I was always the tallest kid in my grade. Um, and in fourth grade, that was when I met Taylor. And uh, he was playing in a travel league at the time in uh, a town next to us, Mount Laurel. Our town didn't have a youth league yet. Um, so we played with a couple of other kids from our from our town. There were like three or four kids on that team. Um, and Mr. Burke, you know, as I got to befriend Taylor and we began to hang out, he was like, this kid's tall. And, you know, I had a basketball hoop in my backyard. And I, so I shot all the time. Um, so I had, you know, a little bit of game. Uh, so, yeah, the next year I joined up with with them. And we played in this this league in Mount Laurel when I was in fifth grade. And uh, that was the first team I was on. Um, there was some kind of sketchy business. The head coach like didn't let me go to the public tryout, so he could kind of hide me because I did have a little bit of game. So we were able to finagle having four really good players on on, <laughs> um, on a team when you're only allowed to have three. 
And uh, yeah, we ended up winning the title. And that was the kind of core group that I stuck with um, all the way through through eighth grade. So so Taylor and I go way back. He's, he's one of my the favorite, one of my favorite teammates that I've ever had. And um, yeah, he uh, um, was the one who kind of yanked me into to playing organized basketball. You know, I think I would have found a way, but I'm really glad that I ended up with the group of guys that I did. I, I got really good coaching from a young age and that really I think is at the root of, you know, all of the success I had as a, as a player, you know, I, I was never the best athlete. Um, you know, I was always pretty tall, but I was taught like how to think like a basketball player. So I'd like, mm-hmm. I liked to think of myself as a, as a pretty intellectual player. Cause I had to be from, from a young age. And I, I was exposed to really, really great coaching from fifth grade onwards, which is something that um, a lot of basketball players don't, don't, don't have. Yeah, no, absolutely. You see sometimes even at the college level, just, just natural athletes playing basketball and doing pretty well, but you can tell they don't have that basketball IQ yet. And usually that gets developed in time, but you're right. If you have that at a young age, it's really good. It definitely helps you obviously helps you, you, you know, have a great story. We'll talk about it. Your national player of the year. Yeah, I always got a lot of satisfaction out of, you know, outplaying and, and beating up on players that were so athletic they could hit their head on the rim, but, uh, you know, they couldn't run, you know, uh, an offense or they'd forget every other set play or like they were terrible inside of some sort of defensive scheme. Because um, mm-hmm. that was that was never me. You know, I worked yeah. hard to, to be a player that was on top of his X's and O's and, and knew where the ball needed to go and knew where I needed to be on defense. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. That's a coach's dream right there, honestly. <laughs> No, you said that you had four sisters. You told me this off air and I wanted to ask you then, but I saved it for the podcast. What is that like? Oh my gosh. Um, it's, it's intense. You know, the joke that I tell some people is that you know, I'm the runt of the litter, even though I'm the biggest, um, all four <laughs> of my sisters were division one athletes. Um, so, so yeah, we, we were um, raised in a really competitive household. Um, you know, we, we've never finished a game of monopoly. Um, <laughs> you know, we used to have fight over the TV and fight over the computer and you know, fight over who's going to sit in the front seat in the car. Um, but yeah, we're a really close knit group. Um, my sisters have kept me grounded throughout my entire life. I'm the middle child. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, at times, um, you know, it was tough growing up. I, you know, I cried when I found out that my youngest sister was, was a girl when she was born. I wanted a brother so badly. Um, but you know, I've come a long way since then. And, um, uh, yeah, I'm really grateful for, um, for the relationships that I have with them. Wow, that's awesome. Oh my gosh, four sisters. <laughs> but yeah. what about, so you said that they all played D1 sports. What did they play and where did they go? Yeah, so my so my oldest sister uh, was was a really solid rower and she was also the kind of classic, you know, golden child. And she um, she went to Yale. Um, and so she, she had a crew there for four years and was a part of some really, really strong teams. And she had a great experience. Um, my sister's two years old, Larry Marcy, she swam at LaSalle. She was a really strong breaststroker, and she did that um, you know, after high school. And then you know, I, I played basketball, and I went to Dickinson. And then my sister, Claire, is two years younger than me. I uh, was probably the best athlete out of all of us in terms of you know, natural build. Everything that she did growing up, she was a natural at and really, really strong. Everything kind of came really easy to her. She was a great field hockey player when she did field hockey. She was an unbelievable swimmer. Um, and then she started to get some injuries and she was 12, 13. So she um, got into crew and she got into high school and she was a you know top, top, top recruit and had a ton of success on the high school circuit. Um, so she committed and went to UCLA um, and her career didn't pan out like she had wanted it to. You know, she ended up in the top eight as a sophomore, which is, you know, that's a big deal. But um, she had to medically retire. She, she really struggled with some injuries there. And then my younger sister, Annie. 
Um, there's also another really, really solid athlete, and she swam uh, at Lehigh for two years, and she just uh, transferred to Swarthmore because um, you know, she's a brilliant, um, brilliant mind. So yeah, um, it's uh, it, like I said, it was a really, really competitive you know household that I grew up in, but uh, we each kind of own, you know, we found our own niches, um, and I think that kind of helped us carve out, um, you know, our own kind of identity, which was which was important. Yeah, absolutely. Crazy schedule, though, that your parents must have been dealing with, right? All five kids playing sports. They probably were, you know, going all over the place, getting you guys to practices and games and, and matches. Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing, too. What really um, kind of is the uh, you know cherry on top there is that a lot of us had, you know, extra like individual training sessions for whatever sport it was that we were in. So, you know, my parents did the whole, you know, drive us to games, drive us to practices. But then it was, you know, the extra training um, that we had on the side, uh, like they, they invested a lot in, in our athletic success, um, which, you know, it, it can be a lot on a kid, but I will say um, to my parents' credit, like I never felt, um, I, I felt pressure to, you know, to play hard and, and to do right by the sport, but I never felt pressure to, um, you know, overwhelming amount of pressure to have success. Like I was never afraid of you know, my parents' wrath if I, if I didn't play well. The expectation was that I just kind of maxed out what I had. Um, yeah. So yeah, they, they pulled all the right strings, um, you know, with all of us. And I, I don't think it's an accident that we all, you know, had success at the high school level and then were able to play in college. Um, so I'm really grateful that, you know, I had them in my corner the entire, um, the entire way and through, through um, the entire journey. Um, so yeah, I, I really couldn't have done it without them, and, and neither could have my, neither could uh, my sisters have either. Ah, oh, they sound like amazing people. And you're right, that's the best type of mom and dad to have in the stands, where they want you to play hard, right? But they're not going to get on you if you shoot two for 12 one day you know they understand that you're not gonna go 100 percent from the field every game yeah yeah for sure I mean, one thing that I, I took a lot of pride in was that my dad you know a lot of players when they start to screw up you know they'll look at the person who's invested a ton in them like whether it's a coach or a parent and every time i would look at my dad in the stands if i was playing poorly like it was like you know he would you know, point to his head and you know like get back in the game or point to his heart you know play yeah. with more heart but there was never like this you know um, I wasn't getting instruction from from my dad. He was really good at kind of letting coaches um, do their thing, but um, he also was you know, he was there with me every step of the way, uh, you know, with a, a kind of emotional support as a fan, I mean, as a parent. Ah, oh, amazing. Now, did you play any other sports growing up, or was it just basketball for you? Um, so, so I'm pretty unique in that way. I, when I was 11, I quit winter swimming to focus on basketball year-round. Um, but I, I stuck with winter swimming all the way through high school, and I think that um, did help me kind of keep um, you know, my, my muscles and my body uh, in, a, in a pretty good place because you know, basketball is a lot, but um, you know, I wasn't the best swimmer, and I also wasn't the most committed. You know, I would... Um, you know, miss out on plenty. I missed out on plenty of practices and meets to go to, you know, basketball games or even basketball practices. Basketball was always first, but, um, you know, I did have that in, in my locker um, and in my corner. So, uh, yeah, it was good to, to lean on that, you know, kind of one season out of the year. Um, so, yeah, but it was it was basketball year round for me. Like that, that's what I loved. That's what I wanted. And, and my parents um, enabled that. So I, I was you know, happy to do it throw in that you have an amazing swimmer's body so if you did like decide that like at that age that you didn't want to play basketball i bet we, you also would have been a phenomenal swimmer yeah 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 um but it's, it's funny you say that um you know swimming requires just like a different kind of gear and level of of commitment um when i was swimming i swam year round for maybe two or three years and you know, the tricky thing about it is that's a very lonely sport. I feel like a lot of people don't realize that. Like when you're competing and when you're training, you're not 
communicating with anybody. And it's also, um, you know, it's, it is, it's a very individual or individualistic sport. Um, so I feel like a lot of people on a lot of teams, like, you know, they train together and like they make each other better. But at the end of the day, if they're in a race with a person that's you know, on their team, they, you know, they, they you know, slit their throat to be the first one to the, you know, to, to finish and, and seriously. So I feel like it, it swimming can kind of lead to some, to some toxic relationships. You know, it, it, it's, um, Definitely. it's not like basketball where you need everybody on, you know, on deck and on hand to make sure that you have success. Yeah, no, it is kind of weird in that way. I think the same way with wrestling too, like where you have to like wrestle off at practice to see who's going to compete in the match. Yeah. With swimming, like you said, you're on the same team, but you guys could be in the same race. And obviously, you know, you're not rooting for your teammates to win over you. Yeah, yeah. And like, and to go back to my sisters, I have a ton of respect for the kind of athletes that you know, they were. They were endurance athletes, you know, crew and swimming. But, um, you know, they also, they were great teammates. And uh, they never ran into too much drama on their teams. You know, they, they were able to support um, the athletes around them, um, which was something that I maybe probably would have struggled with as, as I got older, but I got out just in time. Yeah, nice. Now, how were you, you mentioned that you swam in high school too, but basketball and swimming are in the same uh, time of year. How were you able to pull that off? Oh, so, so I would swim over the summer. I, w- I would do oh. summer swimming. Yeah. Oh, so that, okay. So, you know, I, I, I play AU, you know, so if there were big tournaments, you know, obviously swimming would take a back seat, but you know, I, we practice in the morning. So that was something I could make pretty much you know, every Monday through through Friday. Um, and again, I wasn't the most intense swimmer at all. But uh, um, I do think it did help me kind of save save my body. I mean, to this day, I've, I haven't had, you know, a, a very kind of significant injury that um, you know, had me sideline that left me sidelined for a prolonged period of time outside. I dislocated my knee, but you know, nothing my kneecap, but nothing tore when that happened. And I was back in action, you know, inside of, you know, two, maybe three months. Oh, wow. Okay. Huh. No, that is good. Yeah, swimming, I mean, you're building up so much muscle. It can only help. <laughs> so you played on a really great AAU team growing up with my cousin, as you had mentioned. When it comes time for high school, though, you decide to attend the private school, Camden Catholic. I'm sure, you know, you chose that over. There's a lot of private schools in that area, as well as the public school. So why did you choose Camden Catholic? Um... That's a great question. So there were really three options for me. Um, there was the public school, which was Morristown, and um, you know, that's where T ended up. And you know, all the other guys on my A team were from were from Morristown. So you know, we had a really good team, and and we could have you know stuck together and, and gone to gone to Morristown. But uh, the coach for our team was a father of one of the players. He ended up getting the head coaching job at another Catholic school called Bishop Eustis, which was the school he played at when he was in high school. And he was this legend. You know, so he went there and he brought a lot of the guys from our team over to Eustis. Um, and, and Taylor was, was, you know, that was a really big decision for him to stay at Morristown. And um, so he missed out on that. But I, um, instead of going to Eustis to follow that coach, um, instead of staying in Morristown where the competition maybe wouldn't have been as strong, mm-hmm. I went to Camden Catholic. Um, number one is I'm a practicing Catholic, so that was something that was really important to me. I thought about going to Catholic school in seventh and eighth grade, but I decided to stick it out in public school. Um, but, uh, you know, the basketball at Camden Catholic was really, really strong. They, they ran a program that was really good for big guys. Um, I was a huge fan of their coach. Um, and another big component there was that I have a lot of family ties to, to Camden Catholic. Um, my dad, my uncle played basketball at, at CC back in the day and, you know, had his name up in the rafters for all kinds of different things like assists and um it was a program that just really, really cared about basketball, and I really wanted to be a part of that. And uh, my dad was also an alum. You know, I had a bunch of uncles and aunts that went through there, so I wanted to be a part of that history. I kind of wanted to etch my name in the history books, and 
know, there was something about walking into a Canada Catholic game in seventh and eighth grade, you know, when the gym's completely sold out, it's jam packed, you know, it's, there's 1200 people in there where, you know, everyone's kind of just on top of the, you know, top of the court and, um, you know, the place is electric. You have a couple fan bases that you know, really don't like each other. And, you know, you look up in the rafters and there are, you know, a thousand point scores, you know, uh, 400 rebounds, 200 assists, you know, all South Jersey, the hall of fame, um, you know, the 21 seasons that went back to 1989. Um, so yeah, I, that was something I, I really wanted to be a part of. And, uh, I have no regrets about my decision. I had an unbelievable experience. It came to Catholic. That's amazing. Yeah, it's one of the premier programs in South Jersey. And you played for head coach Jim Crawford, who's coached there for over 35 years, and he won over a thousand games. And what was that like to play for someone like that? Yeah, so, so Croft really is, uh, was, and still is a legend. He, he, he's not the head coach anymore. He retired a few years after I graduated. Um, I think he retired in 2013. But um, it was it was awesome. Um, Croft was the kind of coach that um, really connected with me. I, I was never someone that responded well to yelling, and Croft just kind of had this aura about him. You know, he was his first year was when my dad was a senior in 1979. Um, you know, so by the time I got to him in 2006 and 2007, you know, I didn't play varsity my freshman year. You know, I kind of paid my dues and did the whole JV thing, and um, but. Uh, you know, he was very quiet, um, very stoic. He was always in control. Um, and that was one of my favorite things about playing with Croft. He never got rattled, no matter how bright um, you know, the lights were, no matter how big the stage was, no matter who we were up against. Like, we always had our system. Um, we were I'm kind of like very well trained, very well, um, we were very well coached. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we trusted one another all the time to, to do what we needed to do. And he played a really kind of old school brand of basketball. You know, we were really physical, really chippy. Um, and we ran like some old school sets. I mean, Croft, <laughs> Croft ran old school stuff, but um, he was a really brilliant mind. And he was like, I, I don't think I've played for, I haven't played for a better coach in terms of X's and O's. We used to watch tons of tape on teams and break them down. Um, we also played a really unique defense. We played two, three matchup in high school, which is really rare. And we got really good at it because he was really good at coaching it. Um, so yeah, he, he was a really brilliant mind and I'm, I'm really glad I got to, I got to play with him. And I feel like I carry a lot of, um, you know, a, a lot of him with me when I coach the game today. Um, so, so I, yeah, I, I can't say enough positive things about Croft. It was, he was as good as advertised and, uh, um, I wish I could, you know, go back and play for him again. I wish I could run those four years back. They were, they were really, um, yeah, it was a magical experience playing for him. That's awesome. And I find that, especially I'm sort of just considering the Jersey schools, because that's where I live and what I'm familiar with. If you go to a private school, you're getting really good coaching usually. It's the more ideal spots for the people that really know basketball, where sometimes if you go to a public school, you know, it could be some Joe Smo that just wants an extra few grand for uh you know for the season but that's pretty cool you had a unique experience that not many high school basketball players can say they had i mean watching film i don't really know how many high school programs even do that yeah we we did a lot of that croft um yeah he had these like these cronies that would go out and film um you know because a lot of you know you're playing on whatever it was wednesdays and saturdays so you know he would have these these fans of the program that would go out and film you know opponents on the same nights that we were playing and then he'd break it down that night and we'd go into practice you know the next day and we'd break down what they were going to run we'd break down bad habits i mean one of my favorite things that he would do um is that he would pick on players right so he would find he'd look at you know habits that some players had and 
Um, you know, he'd pick up on the fact that Bridget, you know, turns her head whenever her man, you know, runs to the corner. So like he's, you know, that, that she's someone that we can screen and expose and exploit to, to manufacture wide open buckets around the rim. So he was really good at, you know, kind of finding matchups that worked for us and then, and then exploiting them over and over and over again. Um, so yeah, he, he, it was cool watching him break down coaches that, um, uh, you know, sometimes there'd be like hot young coaches that, you know, people were really high on with programs that were on the rise and, you know, they would make a lot of noise because they were recruiting, you know, Croft never recruited, you know, the players that uh, went to Kendall Catholic went there because they wanted to play for him. You know, he had that brand name and uh, it was just cool to see him go about it in his old school way and just kind of you know dominate a, lo- a lot of different programs uh, with that, with the kind of same core values and same core sets that he had had for years. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. And 2-3 matchup, that's, from what I understand, kind of a difficult concept to learn in high school. Obviously, if you go and play at the college level, yeah, you got to know more as far as X's and O's. But that's pretty difficult, So I feel like, at the high school level. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's that's I still carry that with me today. I wish we could have played 2-3 matchup in, in college. But I, I think it's the best high school defense because it looks like a 2-3, but, you know, it, it, it has all these man-to-man principles. So if you're not an experienced coach, you don't really know what you're doing, you know, you're going to really struggle against it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he, it was amazing how every single year we would kind of start off a little bit slow in it, but by the end of the year, you know, once we played together and we've kind of gelled and cemented the kind of chemistry that we, yeah. we needed to have to, to run it well, it was always, I mean, it was a handful for other teams, you know, my, my senior year, we returned four out of the five starters um, that we had for my junior year. And uh, it was just amazing how we were able to kind of get it off the ground quickly. And we ended up going 29-2, you know, winning state and um, you're winning with the best team in South Jersey. And um, a lot of that had to do with the fact that we had so much experience playing for these kind of com- this, playing in this complex system that, that Croft, um, you know, taught. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, again, I, I can't say enough about him. He was a brilliant basketball mind. Um, he was great. You mentioned state title your senior year. And did you also win the Tournament of Champions, too? No, 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 no. You should have reminded me about that. That was, oh, that was, sorry. yeah, no, 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 to- totally cool. Uh, <laughs> my senior year, we did win the state title. Um, and that was, um, honestly, you know, I've, I've played in a lot of big games and games that meant a lot to me. I think that, you know, out of every single game that I ever played in, I think that game meant the most to me. Um, I, I went to Camden Catholic, you know, to play at that level. And, uh, you know, my sophomore year, we came really close and we lost, we blew a um, seven point lead inside of you know, with four minutes to go with no shot clock. And we ended up losing by four. Um, and I fouled out of that game and I got a T when I got fouled out. It was one of only two technical fouls I, I ever got, uh, I ever got playing back in the day. But, um, so yeah, my, my, and then my junior year when we probably had the most talented group of guys, we had some seniors that were really good. We choked in the playoffs and lost. Um, so yeah, my senior year, we came back and everybody got a lot better. And, uh, it's a weird story. So we went up to uh, Tom's River to play against St. Peter's Prep, who was this you know, nationally you know, ranked team. They beat Oak Hill Academy that year. You know, they got as high as fourth in the country, and uh, you know we're huge underdogs for this game. You know, like we you know, we have some talented players, but we only had one Division One player on that, that was in the rotation. You were in, uh, Anthony ended up going to Lehigh, and uh, you know, so we go up there to play. And we're wired. We're excited for this game. You know, we know exactly what we have to do, and. Uh, the power goes out. There was this crazy storm, so we couldn't play that day. So we literally took the court, um, literally took the court, and, um, you know, the place was running on auxiliary power, so they called it. And they were like, you know what, come back here tomorrow at noon or whatever it was, and we'll play. Um, so, you know, all our fans had to go back home, and we had to go back home. But I remember Croft made a big deal about it. He's like, "Not, don't tell anybody. 
We're going to go back to camp together. We're going to practice tonight. You know, we're going to get a leg up on these guys who were playing. You know, they're all going to go home and go to sleep and then come back here. Like we're going to, we're going to make something out of this. And he invited all the parents to our practice that night. And uh, if you asked any one of them, they knew right away. You know, even if they had the jitters going again, the they're like, they're going to win tomorrow because we were wired, we were ready to go. It was just like this clean, crisp practice where it was like everything just ran smoothly, efficiently. Like we were just, we were ready to go out. And uh, we went out the next day and we. Yeah, we took like a 12, it was one of those games where we went out, we came out hot, and we took like a 12-point lead, and they were just whittling away at it for the rest of the game. And they eventually got it down, and they tied us at a couple points, but we never gave away the lead, and then we held on, and we ended up winning by five. Um, and yeah, it was just a feeling of kind of jubilation, and honestly, a little bit of relief um, when we won, because we, the class that I was in had a lot of good players um, that, you know, there were a lot of fans of the program or whatever, there was a lot of pressure from the outside to succeed and to kind of have that burden get lifted off your shoulder was a really special thing. And, and also when you're 18, like the, the only thing that matters in your life is like, you know, that, that stage and, um, you know, that, that competition. So like, it felt like I was on top of the world, you know, and sometimes I have to, I kind of look back at my 18 year old self and I'm just like, man, like the, there's so much more going on, but like, that was all that mattered to me at the time. And so to kind of reach, reach that high was a really, really special thing. And it's something I'll never, I'll never forget. Yeah, no, and that's sort of all you knew at the time, right? Obviously, you get into adulthood and you realize that there's, you know, a lot more to the world, but winning a state championship as a senior is still something that's really exciting. Crazy, though, I mean, I can't imagine, like, you're getting to the game that day, you're like, all right, we're going to play for a state title, and the power goes out, and it's like, okay, all this, like, emotion that you have and, like, excitement, and now you just have to, like, all right, like, table it and do it tomorrow. That, that must have been pretty hard. Yeah, yeah, it was. And I remember, like, it's funny, though, because we, we knew that we were ready to go. And the things that we were worried about on the bus ride back when we were you know going back to practice, like, are fans going to be able to, like, are they going to make the drive again? Are they going to, you know, drive up 95 to get to Tom's River, you know, make that hour-long trip? And, um, like, it was, it was, I remember thinking the things that we were worried about, you know, were, were um, just kind of little things. Like, we knew that we were going to play well. We knew we were going to put our best foot forward and, and uh and we did. You know, we got the result. It was it was a special, special day. Absolutely. Oh, amazing. Now, in high school, did you play any of those schools like St. Anthony's, St. Patrick's, St. Benedict's that, like, recruit nationally? Um, so we, we did not play St. Anthony's my senior year. So my senior year, we won state, and then we went to the Tournament of Champions. And they actually seeded us as the one seed, as the number one team in New Jersey. Um, and that's when we got as high as 24th in the country, um, which was, like, again, insane because we had one Division one player. Um, but, yeah, they seeded us as the one seed. And the number two seed that year was a school called Trent Catholic, which T actually played twice a year. They were in the same conference as Morristown, which is wild. But, um, yeah, Trent Catholic that year upset St. Anthony's in triple overtime for the um, um, uh, parochial double-A or parochial B, parochial B, a small school's small private schools in Jersey, they, they took that title from St. Anthony's for the first time in a long time. You know, St. Patrick's and St. Anthony's won every year. And that's the, the Trent Catholic team was loaded. You know, they had Division One guards all over the place. They were super fast. And you know, we played them in the TOC, and um, we were actually winning. You know, we were right there um, all game long. And then in the fourth quarter, we were losing, and there's no shot clock. So we had to come out of our matchup zone. Um, and that's when they just smacked us around because they were so much faster than us. Um, but yeah, we never played any any of those like big, big national powers. You know, we played some of the Philly schools that were really good. Like Roman Catholic was amazing. Malik Waynes, I know you're a big Nova fan. He was there when we played them, and he he let us up, but we beat him by three. You know, so Croft was really good at like finding programs 
um, in in um, the kind of Phil- in the greater Philadelphia area that would pay dividends when we'd play in the state playoffs. Like mm-hmm. my, my sophomore year, we played um, LaSalle, um, LaSalle Prep from Philadelphia, and they had a couple really good big guys. Um, and, you know, we, we beat them early in the season. It was a great game, you know, whatever. And then when we played Holy Spirit later that year for the South Jersey title, you know, the winner of that game would go to the state final. They had a couple of really good big guys. And remember, we were really nervous. We're antsy. You know, there were some sophomores in the locker room like, oh, my gosh, this stage is so big, you know, whatever. And then he was able to get up in front of the whole team and just be like, this team is no different than LaSalle. You know, in fact, they were better. You know, and we got this the whole way as long as we run our stuff. And we went out and we won. Um, wow. So. So yeah, yeah, we we played good competition, but we never we never reached you know St. Anthony's or or, or St. Pat's. Mm-hmm. Okay, it just speaks to the program that Jim Crawford has created had did create. He's not there any longer. I'll repeat that because that sounded weird. It just speaks to the program that you know Jim Crawford had. You, you were playing all these Division One te- like teams that had Division One players, and you as you said, you only had one, and you still got it done. Yeah, yeah, and th- and that's why Croft was the best. Like one of my favorite things to kind of throw out to, you know, people that like New Jersey basketball is to say, like, I know that Jim Crawford could win with you know St. Anthony's talent, but could Bob Hurley win with Kenda Catholic talent? And like, I don't think he could, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I'm the biggest Croft fan ever. Uh, he he, yeah. he was he was a great great coach. No, I 100% agree with you. I think there are some coaches out there that are great recruiters. But, you know, if they didn't have that recruiting skill, could they turn some, like, you know, lower division kids into really, you know, could it be a powerhouse team? And I think the answer is no for a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. And it's what's really amazing about Croft is he, I mean, he had 21 seasons from 1989 all the way through 2011. You know, and there were teams in there that didn't have any talent at all, but he just kind of had this this program that was extremely methodical and tough with a really strong culture. And, you know, we get passed down from the seniors to the juniors, to the sophomores, to the freshmen. And you know, we had success for a couple decades in the best, you know, best division, best conference in, in South Jersey. Absolutely. Now, Jerry, can you talk a bit about your recruiting process? Because you don't actually go straight to college, right? From high school, you end up doing a year of prep school in Lawrenceville, New Jersey. So sort of talk about that recruiting process and why you chose prep school. Yeah, so so my recruiting process was crazy. Um, you know, because we had a really strong team my sophomore year in high school, that kind of put me on the radar of a lot of different schools. Um, and uh, yeah, I you know, did the whole AAU circuit thing the summer between my sophomore and junior year, and then again um, uh, the summer between my junior and senior year. Um, but that summer between my junior and senior year, I ended up dislocating my knee playing in a spring league game with uh with with my with my high school teammates so like it was you know again it wasn't a super serious environment it was a freak accident and my kneecap you know popped out when i when i landed from a rebound and uh you know again nothing tore so i was still completely healthy but i had to wait you know for my knee to kind of you know for the swelling to go down and i was out for i was out of commission for like two or three months so i missed that entire pretty much the entire au circuit i missed the entire um, live period and i had a lot of interest going into that period from you know, a lot of different schools, but I was kind of on the same track as Kyle. I was really into, you know, Patriot League schools. I was really into Ivy League schools. My parents, you know, I was lucky enough to have parents that made it clear to me from the get-go that, you know, they weren't going to send me to Southwest Louisiana Tech State A&M just because it was Division One, and they had offered me a full ride. Um, so I prioritized academics for that entire process. I'm um, going into my senior year, really the only school that, um, um, you know, kind of maintained a really high level of interest in me was Army. Um, and you know, they, they did the whole come to the house thing. They brought me on campus a couple times. Um, so they, they courted me really, really hard. And what ended up happening was their head coach got fired. Who's this guy by the name of Jim Cruz at a really odd time. It was like the end of the summer. 
maybe even early fall. And they brought in um, an assistant from Cornell, who's this guy named Zach Spiker, who's now at Drexel. And you know, he wasn't super um, high on me, not because you know I wasn't a, a, a good basketball player, but he really wanted to send me to U.S. Maps, um, which is the U.S. Military Academy prep school. Um, so that way I could get bigger. And that's really how Army and Navy I'm an Air Force redshirt their their guys before they get on campus. And the problem with me was that I couldn't do it because my grades were too high. <laughs> so I, my, my SAT scores were too high for me to go to U.S. MAP. So it put me in between a rock and a hard place. It was like, do I want to go to the academy and play for a coach that doesn't really like me? You know, I kind of envisioned basketball being my release in an environment like that. Um, so I ended up deciding to kind of put my recruitment on the back burner. I really wanted to focus on my senior year. And, and basketball and, and uh, you know, I really wanted to max out and, and, and try and win a state title. And that's luckily what ended up happening. But, um, you know, I, I got a lot of D2 interest throughout that year. I had a couple D2 offers on the table from like Philadelphia University, Stonehill. Um, and, you know, I never I was never crazy about any of them. I, and again, I think some of that had to do with um, maybe the academic experience that I wanted. But at the end of my senior year, I, I had a monster, you know, kind of playoff run. I put up some really, really big numbers against really good competition. And a lot of these games, you know, I was playing in front of college coaches that were coming to see, you know, their their their, their players, you know, that were typically on players that uh, typically on teams that I was playing against. Um, so, yeah, like I had a bunch of coaches in my ear. Like UPenn was a really big one that were like, you know, take a post-grad year. Like it's really late in the process for us. It's March. You know, like there's we don't have a spot for you, but, you know, reload, go through the whole AU circuit thing and then. Um, yeah, and then we're gonna, you know, we're gonna recruit you um, if if you get back and uh, if you if you reload and do another year of high school. So, so that's what I did. I did the whole AU circuit thing, the big camp thing again, and uh, yeah, again, it was just a whole process, and it was exhaust. At this point, I was just exhausted. You know, the kind of you know push and pull from a bunch of different coaches and a bunch of different programs. Um, you know, and in the in my back pocket the entire time, um, one of my assistants at um, one of the assistants at our Kinder Catholic was a Dickinson grad. Um, and there were a couple coaches from there. Was, you know, Coach Reddy still there. He's the head. Who just they came to watch every single one of my games at Catholic. They came to watch me play at Lawrence all the time. They were great guys. They went above and beyond um, just to get you know FaceTime with me. And they convinced me to come out one summer day um, uh, uh, in 2010. You know, before I started my prep year. And I just I really liked the school. So I you know I, I figured you know I stayed in contact with these coaches. Um, and and uh, you know as my process kind of played out when I was a postgrad at Lawrenceville, um, I, I kind of. I don't want to say I slipped through the cracks because I, I don't want to, you know, insult or, or kind of de- demean you know, the, the basketball program at Dickinson in any way, shape or form. But, uh, you know, I, I the schools that I really wanted to work out for me didn't work out. And uh, at the end of the day, I ended up making this decision between Rice or uh, or Dickinson. And I ended up picking Dickinson. Yeah. My, like my parents had put down a split deposit, you know, so it was like it was really like it was it was. It was really late in the game. You know, the joke is that Dickinson, that my coaches didn't know whether or not I'd show up on campus for the first day. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was this this, this long process, and um, I ended up at Dickinson. And you know, everybody asked me, like, you know, did you have a good experience? And the answer is yes. You know, I ended up right where I needed to be. I was able to play right away as a freshman. I had great coaches that cared about me. I ended up in a program where you know all the players were not just great players, but also great guys, you know, like I, I really enjoy playing with all of them. And, you know, I've got a lot of friends and, and a lot of happy memories from, from playing in the program. We also had a lot of success. Um, so yeah, like I, I look back at my recruitment process and like, you know, who knows how it would have ended up if I ended up at, you know, 
UPenn playing for Jerome Allen. He got fired after two years or Rice University where you know, there was a mass exodus from the program after my freshman year and all these players left and it was really shady and weird. You know, I, I got a, a very stable collegiate experience um, and I had a lot of success and, and a lot of joy from and, uh, from from my time playing basketball. So, yeah, I ended up right where I needed to be. It was a crazy process, but um, yeah, I'm thankful that I ended up where uh, where I needed to go. That's amazing. And it is crazy. I just want to touch on a few points uh, with everything that you just said. It's cra- I didn't realize how similar your story was to my brother Kyle's having that injury at a really significant time for recruiting because, you know, you know, you know, Kyle, he had D1 interest that was off the table. Seems like a lot of that sort of happened when you got hurt. And then with Army, were you like, were you if you decided to go to Army, had that first coach stayed and not gotten fired? Were you okay with like doing everything that is involved with being at Army and serving your country afterwards? Because that's a big decision. Yeah, for sure. I, I will say this about Army and, and the coaches that recruited me there. Um, the best thing that they did in their recruitment um, was that they didn't just sell West Point to me. They sold it to my parents, mm-hmm. you know, and like all three of us were all in. Um, and yeah, that was something that I wanted to do. And, you know, at the time, a lot of people were like you West Point, but you know, it's funny. I think, um, you know, the kind of adults that I've turned into, um, is, uh, I someone that like I thrive, um, you know, in, in kind of a very structured environments and I thrive when I'm kind of comfortable and I know what uh, my expectations, but the expectations are, you know, of me and the places that I'm working and, um, yeah, I think I would have done really, really well there. And I think they saw that in me um, from, you know, all, all those years ago. But, um, yeah, I was completely sold on the academy. I was I was all in. Um, I was I was yeah. ready to do it. Nice. Good for you. Like, that's going to be so hard for them to recruit the academies, right? Because, like, for me, if I was, which I never was, but if I was, like, a prospect in any sport to go D1, and if they contacted me, I personally, I'd be like, no way, because I know myself. I would not help this country at all. Thank God we have soldiers that do. Like, that's why we're the greatest country there is. But I know I would not have helped us at all. <laughs> yeah, that was something I, I hadn't decided yet. But I remember thinking, like, what branch am I going to go into? I think there were, like, 16 or 17. I can't remember. But, uh, you know, it's like, am I going to do infantry? Am I going to do transportation? Am I going to do armor? Am I going to do air cover? You know, it's it's. I, I hadn't made up my mind um you know, when they were recruiting me, but yeah, I, my parents, me, like we were sold on the whole like five year commitment thing. That was, um, that wasn't going to be an issue. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. So then, okay. You go to Lawrenceville prep for a year. Talk about, okay. You're in boarding school, which is not college, right? So you're kind of looking on Facebook, seeing all your friends at college, but at boarding school, as far as I understand, there's some strict rules that you have to be back in your room by 9 PM and stuff. Was, was that a little bit difficult? Uh, it, it was tough at times, but I will say it was exactly what I needed. You know, I don't think I got what, you know, what I wanted at the time, which was, you know, a division one offer to a Patriot or Ivy league school. Um, but I, I was a major homebody growing up and I you know, living on my own, but also kind of having that structure and that guidance and a dorm parent right nearby. And my dad drive, you know, drove by campus every single day on his way to work. Um, even though, you know, I was on campus, like I had that those outlets if I needed them. But uh, yeah, I, I was able to grow up a ton. Um, so yeah, like I, at first it was tough, you know, seeing all your buddies go off to school, but um, you know, I also don't want to shortchange the boarding experience. Like I had a great time and I made some great friends. There were other postgrads there and you know, we had some awesome memories that, uh, you know, we still look back on and laugh at. Um, so yeah, like uh, it, it was tough, but um, 
it, it was it was what I needed at the time, and um, I'm grateful that I ended up at, at Lawrenceville. Yeah, that's awesome. And as far as going to Dickinson, again, another similarity with my brother Kyle. TC and Jay had been on him the whole time. They wanted, I think they, they were his first letter. And, you know, even through his injury, past his injury, they still wanted him. And that's the experience you had with Dickinson. They wanted you the whole way through. Yeah, yeah. And again, they, they were just gen, they weren't overbearing. They were just genuinely um, good guys. They're the coaching staff there. And um, I still have close relationships with, um, with the two coaches that, that were after me the hardest, Coach Reddy and Coach Stuart Smith. Um, but yeah, they were great. I mean, I'll never forget the FaceTime that, that they put in. Like I, my senior year at Canada Catholic, we played up uh, up at Rutgers, and you know the whole place filters out. We have a press conference after the game because we won and we're going to the TSC final. You know, the whole place is empty. And my dad, you know, went out to get the car so I wouldn't have to you know walk any further. Whatever, it's gas exhausted. So I'm waiting at the entry of this like barren parking lot, and lo and behold, like Coach Reddy waited like 90 minutes after the game to come talk to me like he, he was able to find me i'm glad that he did you know so and like they they came to campus a couple times to watch his practice and you know i remember i can remember walking around campus and talking with the coach about my future and you know what was going to be best for me and yeah, they were just really good genuine people and uh, i'm really glad i got to know them in that way i feel like college coaches a lot of times are just snake oil salesmen and i ended up with you know um, like coach ready one of the biggest role models in my life like he's he's a great great person and he's a great coach and i'm really glad that i was um Kind of under his under his tutelage and under you know under his care for for four years in college. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people think like it's D one or bust, right? If you're not playing D one, you're not really that good. And I, I love to tell this story uh, just because it's it's not true. Uh, D one athletes, D two athletes, D three athletes—they're all phenomenal. A guy on Kyle's team at TCNJ ended up on the Harlem Globetrotters, and in his tryout. He beat out guys that were D1 Power 5 conference guys. And, you know, Derek Grant at TCNJ, D3, got the job. So I just love telling that story. Yeah, the, the notion that, you know, D1 college coaches get it right and they get the top 300 players or whatever, however many D1 basketball players, you know, matriculate, you know, from high school into D1 each year, that they get the exact, you know, top 300 guys um, just right every single year is insane um you know especially when you get to the kind of high academic d3 schools like you get a lot of kids that again are prioritizing the degree so even though they're division one guys they you know they they find a school like um you know like williams or amherst or any of the nescac schools or centennial schools or you know and and they uh they end up you know having great college careers and and every year too some d3 schools will 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 nick some d1 schools and, and beat them like my going into my senior year we uh our coach is trying to schedule some a D1 game with with some big programs. We're actually talking with Maryland, believe it or not. Wow. And uh, they they didn't want to play us, and it wasn't because they were afraid. Like, they, they, yeah, right. They were afraid of a six seven center like me, like me. Um, they apparently like the, the risk reward there just isn't there, right? Like if they play you, you know they're supposed to beat you by forty. But if you give them a game and you win by, or you, like Maryland only wins by 10, it looks really bad. And God forbid you lose. You know, that's a horrible look. I mean, Iowa, not five years ago, lost to Wheaton College, you know, at, at, at home. You know, like that, that's, that's a bad look. And Wheaton was really, uh, they were, they, we beat them in the Sweet 16 my senior year in 2015. So like some of the guys that I was on the floor with playing against, you know, they, they went on to beat Iowa, you know, so it, some some schools, uh, you know, are, are uh, reluctant to play. You know, D three schools. Not again, not because they're afraid that they're going to lose, but it really doesn't give them 
a whole lot. Um, like they're, they're supposed to win by 40 or 50. And if it doesn't yeah. go according to plan, it looks really bad. No, you're, you're definitely right. That's a good point. And you're right. They don't get it right. They don't get all 300, the top 300 every year. There are people that slip through the cracks. Honestly, you're probably one of them. You know, you don't hurt your knee that summer. Maybe you end up somewhere else. Obviously, I'm glad you ended up at Dickinson. I think you're glad you ended up at Dickinson. Everything happens for a reason. But yeah, it's just, it, it doesn't always go that way where, where if you're D1, you're better than any D2 or D3 player. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. Um, I had a couple guys on my team that were like, everybody has their own story, especially like the highest level of D3. Like, for instance, we had a 6'7 point guard who was uh, class of 2016. So I played with him for three years. Unbelievable player, you know, could handle, could shoot it, just an unbelievable athlete, long and wire. And he ended up going on to be an All American his senior year. You know, and just D1 player like every day of the week. Um, and he, um, he didn't really play AAU. You know, so he like really flew under the radar. Um, and yeah, he was, uh, uh, his public school was in coach's backyard. So like they were on him for years and they've been recruiting because they were recruiting his brother. You know, so he slips through the cracks. The next thing you know, you know, you're marching out a six, seven point guard at the division three level. Who's, you know, a, a player that can score at all three levels and he's got a high IQ. And you know, there are a lot of guys like that across, you know, across the D three landscape where they end up in, in programs, um, you know, by, by some miracle, but then they, you know, they, they, they ball out and they have great careers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Derek Grant, actually similar situation. He didn't play much AAU, so he didn't get that D one recognition. And it was obviously that loss for the D one programs was TCNJ's gain. But so tell me now, Jerry, how was that transition getting into college, playing college basketball compared to high school and prep school basketball? There's gotta be a learning curve there. Yeah, yeah, there, there is. I remember <laughs> calling my dad after the first practice I ever had in college and just being like, Dad, I don't know how I'm going to make it through the season like without getting hurt. I mean, the practices were extremely physical. Um, everybody that's on the team can play. Everybody was recruited to be there, the exception of a walk-on or two. Um, and, yeah, just the, the level of intensity with uh, 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 that, that you approach everything with is just on another level, whether it's a preseason workout, whether it's, you know, a practice, you know, three weeks before your first game, whether it's a shoot around the morning of the game, um, or even just the way you take care of your body um, before and after games was just different. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, the learning, there was definitely a learning curve. But uh, again, like I can't say enough about the culture of the program that I walked into. The guys that were upperclassmen, they really looked out for me and really took care of me. And like they pushed me to be the best that I could be. You know, they brought a lot out of me. But, um, you know, they also loved me up a ton to, to make sure that I was um, good every single step of the way. Um, but yeah, there's there's a big learning curve, like the speed of the game, the physicality of the game and the time commitment outside of um, you know, kind of the immediate practices and, and game time. So it was, was definitely a level up. Yeah. And I, I probably should have said this before, but Dickinson is in Pennsylvania. So pretty close commute as far as your parents get into the games, right? How many hours? Uh, it's like two and a half hours without traffic okay. on the Schuylkill Expressway. Okay. So, see, so yeah, my, my dad would hustle over from, I mean, he, he, his law office is up in Trenton. So he would hustle out there on, um, on work days and, and uh, maybe catch my games on Wednesday nights. And there were also teams, the Centennial Letter in Philadelphia, and so they could always make the games at Haverford or SWAT or, or Sinus. Um, but yeah, it was like just far enough away for me to be my own man, but also close enough where, um, you know, my parents could come to campus on, on any given weekend and they could make most of my games. Yeah, that's awesome. You actually scored 20 points in your first collegiate game. I'm sure you remember that. 
Wow, you've done your research. Yeah, I, I did. That was a fun kind of coming out party because I didn't know I was going to start um, uh, until like two or three days before um, before our first game, even though I knew, um, like no disrespect to any of my teammates that were also big guys, I knew that I was the best one on the roster, but like my coach <laughs> that, that kind of held out and telling me. Um, and then, yeah, we were getting our doors blown off. We were playing against Washington Lee and then we um, ended up making a run to come back and, um, you know, I had a couple big threes and yeah, it was it was a great game, but yeah, it was it was odd because at the time there was like my my freshman recruiting class, but the, the guys that were in my class were really strong. And there was one kid, Chris, who you know, had a great career with us. He was an unbelievable defender. He could fly, you know. So of course, spread it. Your word had spread across the small campus here that was um, that was Dickinson, and you know, everybody knew that this kid could you know jam and just was a ball, whatever. And uh, you know, so it like, came as a shock to some people, like my best friend Perry, who was you know, watching the game live and watched a ton of my games. He was just. He said he was laughing the entire time, and like the commentators, they couldn't believe that you know this, like what I was doing on the floor, because you know I'm, I'm a pretty introverted, quiet person. And then boom, like I kind of took time and kind of took the uh, um, campus by storm, I guess. <laughs> oh, that's funny. It's a great freshman year for you. You average nearly a double double. Dickinson goes 14 and 12, which actually the worst record you're going to have there. So how did you guys turn that around from going 14 and 12 to your sophomore year going 21 and 8? And so, so we had a lot of growing pains my freshman year. Um, we, we only had one senior and we had six juniors. And um, only two of those players, the one senior and the one, ju- one of the juniors, were um, like heavily involved in the rotation. So we were really young. So we struggled with problems that young teams you know, typically struggle with. You know, we turned it over a lot. We'd have, um, you know, some significant defensive lapses, you know, for four or five minutes in a game. And like, that's one of the biggest things about making the jump from high school to college. It's like, if you take off from, you know, 15 to 12 minutes, like that'll cost you the game. Um, so yeah, like kind of going through those growing pains and figuring it out um, in my freshman year was, was huge for us. I mean, we started my freshman year and we were maybe like three and nine or something like we weren't very good to start the year, but then we really turned it on in the second half of the season. And you could see that we were going to turn a corner. We knew that we were good. Um, so yeah, going into my sophomore year, it was, it was fun because we knew that we had talent. We knew that we put in a ton of time to get better. And we also had a really strong incoming freshman class with guys that went on to do great things. So we knew that we were going to be good. Um, and we continued to kind of work hard and bind to the culture of the program. And, um, yeah, we just limited a lot of the mistakes that hurt us my, my freshman year. So with with experience, uh, we were able to to uh, kind of turn it and flip it into another gear and have a lot of success and get our first NCAA tournament berth since 1997. Amazing. Yeah, so it sounds like just a young team that needed to play more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We needed to play together more. Um, and, and we needed to be free to make, make, make mistakes and learn from them. And, and that's exactly what happened. Um, so we were able to rattle off 20 wins on my sophomore, junior, and senior year, which was great. Yeah, I mean, it's such a difference between your freshman year. The next three years, you go to the NCAA tournament. You were, um, your sophomore year, though, you had a broken thumb. How long were you out with that? Yeah, so that that's actually, that's crazy um, that, that you were able to find that little nugget. <laughs> Google. Um, yeah, my, my, uh, my thumb, um, I broke my thumb with maybe like eight games to go that season. Um, and so it was like in the thick of, you know, conference, conference play. And... Uh, yeah, it blew up like it was like a little purple sausage. It was it was horrible. It was all, it was my shooting thumb, um, which was yeah, really really tough. And uh, I missed like one or two games, and then I came back with this like heavily bandaged um, thumb, and I couldn't really practice. Like I was practicing like scoring with my left hand, and like my first game back, I played like five minutes and I scored. I actually scored with a little left hook, but like I couldn't 
I couldn't shoot free throws. I couldn't, you know, really grip the ball. Like it was, it was tough. Um, but it slowly but surely started to get better. And then, uh, yeah, like I, I never fully got back to full strength. I still had to play with thick padding on it. It would really hurt in the morning. But uh, yeah, like shooting the ball was really, really tricky with with padding. Um, and I remember like the last regular season game of that year, I, uh, I was like 0 for 6 from 3. Like, And every shot felt good, but it was just a little bit short. And we actually lost by 30 to our arch rival. And then we got him in the conference championship championship game the next week with the conference, you know, with the NCAA tournament um, berth on the line. And we ended up killing him by like 20 or 25. And it hit a couple threes and it was the best feeling, you know, kind of um, dealing with this uh, kind of broken thumb and, and overcoming that and, you know, taking it to our, our arch rival who we didn't like at all. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Good for you, though, for even like playing on a broken thumb. I'd be like, I need to sit out. But yeah, even with that injury, you managed to be first team all conference, which I believe you're going to do for the next two years as well. You're three, three time first team all conference. Yeah. And, and not to sound like an arrogant, you know, whatever. I should have gotten my freshman year too. The guy who got in front of me was, you know, a junior or senior and I had better stats and I was a better player than whatever. But yeah, <laughs> it, it was, it was, it was great to get that honor. Um, you know, my sophomore, junior and senior year, um, the thing that we, we were most proud of my sophomore year was the fact that the guys who were seniors on that team when we won the conference tournament, when we went to the NCAA tournament for the first time since 97, was those guys won four games their freshman year. And for them to kind of like start from the bottom and then make it all the way to the top uh, was, was really awesome. And what was really special is at the D3 level – it's typically guys that don't play a lot. They just, they quit. Um, or like the, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, say, say goodbye to the game. And, um, you know, we had six guys that were seniors that year and five of them didn't really play, you know, like, and some of them would, you know, step up and spot, you know, some minutes here or there, but they weren't regular members of the rotation, yeah, but they stuck it out um, through the bad times. And like, they had put in all that work um, through all those off seasons and, you know, all that, you know, frustration coming back the day after Christmas and, they were rewarded with um, a really, really special season. And uh, I'm really glad I got to share it with those guys because uh, they really helped me you know, max out what I had and were a huge part of the success that, uh, that the program had. Yeah, wow, good for them. Love to see guys that stick it out and don't either just quit or transfer. It's amazing. Yeah, they're, they're, they're all legends, the whole lot of them. <laughs> yeah, so you guys get into the tournament. You win the first game. End up losing in the second round, but that had to be a great experience, and it's ex- it's an experience you're going to have the next two years as well. Yeah, so my my yeah that that first round game was uh, special because we got to play it on our home floor. The the the, the D three tournament's a little bit different, um, and yeah, so we you know it's the it was the biggest crowd in tickets in history. I mean, you couldn't like there were no seats. It was overflowing with people. It was like beyond capacity and. Yeah, we, we rode that kind of energy to this blowout win. It was, again, to go back to those guys, it was really kind of a culminating experience for them to kind of start, you know, from winning four games and playing in empty gyms to like having the entire town and campus show out. So yeah, that was a really special experience. And we kind of, we, we rode that wave going into the second round and we drove all the way out to Ohio and got smacked around by Wooster College. It was one of the worst games of my career. And um, but it also was kind of a wake-up call. You know, they were a big national program. They still are a big national D3 program. And it was kind of like, oh, like this is what, you know, the competition at that next level looks like. So, you know, we got dominated. It was kind of a wake-up call, but, you know, it motivated all of us to kind of go back to the drawing board and figure out, 
you know, not just, you know, how do we have a great regular season and not just how do we beat Johns Hopkins in the conference tournament, but it was like, how do we compete at this national level? What does it take? You know, what do we need to do with our bodies? You know, what do we need to do schematically? So yeah, we had that experience and then we were able to come back the next year and we actually drew them in the NCAA tournament again, played them on their floor again, and we actually ended up beating them. And that was... That's amazing. Yeah, that, that was that was definitely a top three or four win, like in all of my basketball games ever. It was such a special... Um, a special moment for us to kind of, you know, get dominated by them and then come all the way back and eke out a win on their floor and finish their season, which was great. Yeah. Oh, that is great. Yeah, that junior year, it's actually the furthest you're going to go in the tournament. Funny enough, you actually lose in the Centennial uh, Conference championship to Johns Hopkins, but you have that at-large bid because you're such a good program. You went 24-7 and that year. Yeah, yeah. And the, the crazy thing about that team was, uh, and again, no disrespect to the team my senior year, but because uh, we were we were still really strong. We had some great players. And, you know, again, we had that culture and we had great coaching. But my junior year, we were probably the deep, that was probably the deepest team I ever played on. I mean, we had eight guys that were, and at least seven, but I think eight guys that were like legitimate, you know, division one players. So we were deep. We were strong. You know, we, we had lots of shooting. We had great size. We had played together for a long time. We were loaded with upperclassmen. Um, so, yeah, we, we were really strong in the year. And we um, we weren't sure we were going to get an NCAA bid because we lost to Hopkins on our home floor. And you know, we were one of the last teams in that year. And uh, we ended up getting a 10 seed, I think, um, maybe an 11. But, uh, yeah, we get... Um, you know, a 10 seed and we end up uh, winning the first round game. And then we you know, got the two seed, which was Wooster. And we ended up beating them on their floor, which again, was really, really special because a lot of guys in that locker room had just been dominated by them the year before. We were able to come all the way back and, and win against them. Um, it was a great, it was a great moment. And we won again in the sweet 16. You know, we didn't have that kind of like, wow, like we're so like, we're so like in awe to be here. Like we kept working and then uh, we lost in the elite eight to a really good um, Illinois Wesleyan team. Um, which was tough, but uh, yeah, that's that's the furthest the school's ever been. Um, wow. And uh, yeah, it was a special moment for sure to, to get that far. Yeah, no, it's special. Obviously, I'm sure you are a competitor, kind of grinds your gears that you get so close to a Final Four, but still Elite Eight, first time in program history. That's just something to celebrate. Yeah, yeah. And there were some trademark moments along the way that, you know, we'll never forget. Um, so yeah, it, it was a great run. And um Again, like we were a supremely talented team that, uh, that really maxed out, you know, a lot of what we had, which was which was good. That's all you can really ask for. Oh, absolutely. Your senior year, quite the season. Dickinson goes twenty four and six, wins the conference again, and you personally are first team All American, which is actually you become not only the first person at Dickinson to do this, you're the first person in your conference to do this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I came into that season with a lot of whatever, like preseason hype and expectation just because of the success that we had had in the last two years on a national level. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it was a little bit different. You know, like I, 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 like I've never been I was never um, I'm used to that. I, I was never used to that kind of attention. Um, and, and like the program wasn't used to that either. So we kind of had this target on our backs from the get go. You know, we were preseason ranked. Like maybe 12th in the country and like we had never been ranked in the top 25 to start the year um so yeah we were like the, the expectations were really really high um and we had lost some you know we'd lost some some significant firepower like our point guard from the year before was 
you know, uh, I think it was like third or fourth team All American. Like he was, you know, he was a great player. We had a lot of experience that we lost, but you know, there were guys that stepped up into bigger roles. You know, we the team was a point guard that played sparingly through his first three years, and he came in and did a great job with us. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, we were able to rattle off 24 wins. We got as high as fourth in the country. Um, had a lot of trademark wins along the way. We were able to play some nationally ranked teams uh, in the regular season to kind of like see what was out there, and we beat them too. Um, so yeah, it, it was the team was maybe not as deep um, my senior year. You know, we had a lot of freshmen that again had to kind of get used to that pace and, and grind of, of uh, you know the collegiate game. But um, yeah, I mean, twenty four wins is nothing to snuff at. We also won the second conference title uh, in four years, which we were the first class to ever win two conference titles, which was really really special. Um, and you know, I think that cemented like our our legacy forever, which was great. And then I'd uh, say so. Yeah, yeah, and then we lost in the Sweet Sixteen to um, Virginia Wesleyan and we shouldn't have lost. We should have beat them. Um, we were better than them. And that was, it was a tough loss for us to take. It was a really tough pill to swallow. Um, yeah. That being again, the last game. Yeah. 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 It was, it was brutal. Um, it, like it didn't even feel real when we lost, like we knew we were better than them. And mm-hmm. um, we just like, we gave them a game. It was a close game. We just, we just didn't finish. It was one of those, uh, one of those games where it just like, we, we just could not get over the hump in the second half. Um, even though we were making plays, they just made more plays than us. And that was just the way, um, you know, the way it shook out. But, uh, yeah, it didn't feel real in the locker room after the game. Like, I could not believe that my basketball career was over. Um, yeah. It was uh, it was a weird, weird feeling, like putting in all that time and effort through all those years and knowing that, you know, you're, you're hanging it up. Um, you know, that last time it was it was emotional. Yeah, no, that is hard. Um, but, you know, obviously, while that's hard, you can look back now on your career. That's just phenomenal. I mean, that your senior year. You're named the D3 National Player of the Year, which is, the, that's amazing. Out of all the D3 schools, all the kids, all the teams, they pick you because of your phenomenal career, your phenomenal year. You also become Dickinson's all-time leading scorer with over 1,900 points. I think you're also ranked number one in rebounds, if I'm correct, and block shots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, all those things, yeah. yeah. I, I was talking for a while, all your success, I need some water, jeez. <laughs> yeah no again i had a great um i had a great career there we won a lot of great games um but a lot again i i really i'm not trying to um, kind of be like you know, mr generic or whatever but all of the success that i had at dickinson can be attributed to the culture of the program that i was in you know to the coaching staff that i played for they, they were able to put me in spots that maxed out the kind of style and game that i had and really my mental approach to the game which is I'm a little bit odd and, and can be tough to difficult or tough to deal with sometimes. Um, and then especially the players that were around me that made me better every single day of practice. I, I could be a really frustrating player to play with at times. I'm stubborn. I'm extremely competitive. Um, and I just, I see the game a certain way, but um, you know, all those guys, not just you know, put up with me, but they, they helped me max out what I had. And uh, again, like all there's all the success that I had, I think is a reflection of, um, all the time and effort that you know, everybody in that program put into me. Um, so, yeah, I, I, again, can't say enough about the program at Dickinson and the coaches that I played for and the teammates that I had and the support that I had from the community and the students and, and my family. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. And you're right, you know, it's not just you. Your whole recruiting class, uh, you guys end up with the most wins in a four-year span. So just a great class in general. And it's pretty cool that you can say you have such a great relationship with your high school coach and your college coach. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And again, I, I, I don't think that has anything to do with me. I really think that's luck of the draw. You know, I ended up, um, especially with, with, you know, when you're, when you're picking um, your college and what, what program you're going to play for, it really is um, a crapshoot. You know, you don't know what you're walking into until you show up on campus. But yeah, I, I, I loved playing for Coach Ceretti, Um and I loved you know, picking his brain about all kinds of things off the floor. And I'm, I'm really glad that I had a really strong mentor to, to look up to and that I can still count on to this day. And, um, you know, Croft is very much cut from the same cloth. Like I really, really enjoyed playing for him and I really looked up to him, um, especially, you know, when I was 16, 17, 18 years old. Um, and, and because I had great relationships with them, I, I feel like I was able to leave the game on really really good terms, which is something that a lot of players don't have the luxury of you know, being able to say. I, I, I was able to say goodbye to the game on, on great terms. I, I don't um, harbor any ill will towards, you know, coaches or players that I played for or played with. Um, and that's something that I'm really, really grateful for. Yeah, you're right. Not many people can say the same thing. But talk about that. You know, that is your last basketball game. And I think a lot of people listening to this would just – assume the next step for you would have been to play professionally overseas. You obviously could have. A lot of teams wanted you. So talk about why you decided not to do that. Uh, you know, it's interesting you hear asking me this. Uh, my, uh, before my senior year, I knew I was like set up to have you know, a lot of success. And um, uh, I remember speaking with my father that fall, and there was just a lot on my plate moving forward. I had actually been studying for the LSAT for about a week with um, a couple students at Dickinson. And, uh, you know, I still had my uh, senior thesis, which I was going to have to write that spring. You know, I still had a whole basketball season um, in front of me. I really wanted to finish strong academically. There was, um, you know, there, there was uh, maybe not pressure to finish as best as I possibly could, but I, I really was putting a lot of you know, pressure on myself to, um, you know, to, to, to finish strong and to max up what I had and, um, yeah, my, my dad actually talked me out of studying for the LSAT. The scores you know, are binding for five years. And um, like, I think there are 16 like top law programs. And uh, so, yeah, so I stopped that after a week and I kind of was like, I, I, um, I, I needed to figure out what I was going to do professionally. And, um, you know, I, I made it clear to my dad um, and he supported me every step of the way that I didn't want to go pro, um, especially if I was healthy at the end of my senior year. Like I, I, I just remember thinking that I didn't want to be that like 26 year old guy who tours ACL and it's like hopping around and like random, you know, Eastern Bloc countries, like chasing, like <laughs> chasing something that's just that, that needs to die. You know, I really liked the idea of leaving the game um, uh, behind me with, you know, teammates and coaches that I'd be able to cherish, um, you know, forever. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm glad that I'm healthy and um, I, that I ended my career, uh, uh, you know, with everything intact and right where it should be. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I, I have no regrets on, on not, you know, making 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 the leap over to Europe and, and trying to play. Um, and like just the idea of like being a twenty eight year old like you know entry level employee somewhere is just I didn't want that to be me. Um, That's actually a really good point. I don't think a lot of people would think that way. You know, senior year of college, what's to come after your career ends because you're right, you know, going overseas, you make good money, but you're not going to be retiring at 28. You're going to have to go into the workforce. And yeah, that's an interesting, interesting thing to say. Wow. Yeah. 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 And I'm glad I had like that foresight there and like my, my father's affirmation, you know, it's like his wisdom to be like, yes, like, you are, you are right. Um, so, yeah. So you graduate in 2015 
what the heck have you been up to? Um, yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. So I, um, so I went down to the D3 All-America game my senior year after my you know, career had ended. And, you know, I, I showed up there and all these players are there that are great players. And you know, everyone's talking about, what are you going to do after graduation? And every single one of them were like, I'm, I'm going to sign with an agent and play overseas. And, you know, I got player of the year while I was there. And I got all these crazy looks when I was like, I'm not playing overseas. I'm going to teach at a boarding school down in Virginia. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, the day after we lost in this tournament, I got a job offer from a boarding school down in Virginia called Woodbury Forest. I'll be able to teach history, which is what I majored in in college, and and uh, and coach the game of basketball. So, um, so yeah, I went down there for six years. I had a great experience um, coaching and teaching, and it was interesting, kind of you know, shifting um, my identity away from you know uh, being a basketball player into kind of being an educator and a teacher. And um, it was something I worked really hard to do. I've taken a lot of pride in kind of um, maybe becoming like a little bit more like holistic of, of a person. Um, yeah. Shifting my identity. Yeah. And like, I took advantage of a lot of opportunities down there. I, you know, obviously taught history. I was able to um, help kind of build out this huge world war two course that um, I really kind of made in my own image, which was a lot of fun. Um, and I had a ton of fun building curriculum down there in the classroom and I ran abroad trips a couple of times, you know, summer, summer study abroad trips, which was awesome. And, um, I got a master's degree. Like, again, the school I studied in Cambridge, like this, the school was just so, so good to me. And I grew in so many different ways in my six years there. Um, you know, it's funny, like a lot of people wouldn't dream of spending their 20s in the middle of nowhere, Virginia. But uh, it was just one of those things. I ended up right where I needed to be. And uh, I had a great six years there. And like leaving was was very bittersweet. But, um, you know, I had to I had to see about a girl. So um, so the chase, the chase is on. And that's why I'm up in Massachusetts. Okay. And at a boarding school right now in Massachusetts as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's culturally extremely different. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm up in Massachusetts where the kind of boarding school world is a little bit more um, kind of prevalent um, and, and uh, just around. Like there's way more schools here um, that, that kids you know, attend after they finish eighth grade. Okay. And now are you coaching basketball in your new school as well? Yeah, yeah. So I'll be helping out with the varsity team um, in my first year, and then I have an eye on taking over the program in my second year. Um, and that's, cool. you know, it could be on the cards. We'll see. The coach has been doing it forever. Um, he, he wants to take a step back. But, again, like I'm kind of, you know, waging this war in my mind right now. If, like I want my identity to be as like the basketball coach or like I, like I really enjoy the classroom, and that, I think that's what makes me happiest. So I'm not sure what I want right now. So I'm um, taking it day by day and see how the season goes. Yeah. Very cool. Now, you're at boarding schools you've been at, too. Did you choose to teach at a boarding school because you had such a great experience going to prep boarding school yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the adults that I was able to strike up relationships with at Lawrenceville were actually the same adults that you know, helped push me into the boarding school world. I reached out to my advisor from Lawrenceville and... I remember asking him, like, hey, I, I don't know what I'm going to do after, you know, boarding. Like, what, you know, what do you, what, what's a logical play for me here? Like, what are my strengths? You know, what's, what's a path for me that makes sense? And uh, Senor Contero was like, you know, you would be really good at, um, you're working uh, at a boarding school. Um, and I was like, what? What are you talking about? Like, I was, I was a handful back in the day. And he was like, well, <laughs> you know, you're, you're a great basketball player, but you're also a really strong student. And um, you know, you're an empathetic, compassionate guy, whatever, but you also be like, you're a nerd and you can connect with all kinds of different kids, you know, whether they're a jock or they want to stay in and watch Lord of the Rings. So, um, so yeah, he wasn't wrong. Um, I, I owe him a lot for uh, kind of pushing me in this direction. And, you know, six years later, I'm still here. Nice. Is living 
at the boarding school itself like worth it how do you like that Oof, uh it's it's definitely a unique experience um my first four years at woodbury i lived in a house on campus with um a roommate and he turned into one of my best friends and that was like that was four years i wouldn't trade um you know for the world uh but yeah, then I, then I moved on dorm my next two years. I lived in an unbelievably nice apartment. It was better than I deserved um, in years five and six at Woodbury. But yeah, it's different when you've got, you know, 100 kids on, on a dorm with you. Um, and then here at L.A., I mean, it's uh, the dorm lifestyle is, is definitely a little bit different. Um, yeah, but there, there's definitely, you know, I, I don't have to pay for rents. I don't have to pay for utilities. I have free meals in the dining hall. Like there's there, there are a lot of sign perks. me up. Yeah, yeah. No there rent? are a lot of perks and it can be a pretty cushy lifestyle, um, especially at Woodbury. I mean, I tell everybody Woodbury was like a country club when the kids weren't there. It was unbelievable how nice <laughs> everything was. And you had it all for free. Um, so, yeah, it's it's definitely not for everybody, but it's definitely for me. Yeah, no, it is different being, you know, a history teacher at a prep school, at a boarding school, rather than, you know, being a history teacher at Morristown High School. So I, I always found that interesting. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's good yeah. that you like it. Yeah, it's, it's a very intimate environment. You know, I, you, you don't just teach or coach the kids. You know, you also eat with them. You know, you travel with them. You know, you just, you're just exposed to them. You, know, you see them, you know, from 7 to 10 o'clock, you know, all the time, you know, on dorms. So you're exposed to them in a bunch of different ways, which can be a really, really awesome thing. It also can be a little bit shocking at times, particularly when you live with 15, 16-year-old boys. Um, but, it's, it's, it, but it's been a lot of fun. That's awesome. And your history class sounds really cool on World War II. I wish I could uh, take it. Do you have any spots open for next semester? <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I wish. Yeah, that class um, was a blast to create. First trimester World War One, second trimester World War Two, third trimester fallout from um, from both those conflicts, or from you know from from both world wars um, in the twentieth century um, in Africa, uh, Asia, and and uh, and uh, oh my gosh, in, in the Middle East. Um, so yeah, it was it was an awesome course um, and. Uh, yeah, it's um, maybe you know, so the kids that take it joke around a lot. Like they, they love the course and they love the class itself, like being in the classroom. But the amount of homework that I give out is, uh, you know, leaves a lot to be desired in the eyes of a you know, 17 year old. Oh, you're kid. one of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll thank me when they're 30. That's what all I keep right, telling all myself. Right. <laughs> Jerry, I have loved our conversation. I like to end the podcast with a couple of fun questions. How does that sound? All right, fire away. All right. Who is your all-time favorite Philadelphia Eagles player? Oh, man, that's a great question. All-time favorite? Um, I'm going to go with Brian Dawkins. He's a legend. He's an absolute legend. Yeah. Um, He was mental, but he was an absolute legend. (laughs) Nice. All right, next question. What is your favorite movie? Uh, that's easy. I've got a top five that I could share with you if you want, but um, I just give me all five. Okay, so, so I just cheat and just say Lord of the Rings is number one. Um, I don't say Fellowship, Two Towers, or uh, Return of the King. But gun to my head, I'm going Fellowship of the Ring. Um, then the other four, I got The Matrix, I got Road to Perdition, I got um, Master and Commander, and then Casino Royale is number five. So I'm super excited for Bond 25. It's coming out in October. I can't wait. Very nice. Last question. I think it's going to be an interesting answer due to your all, your all your knowledge of history. If you could have dinner with one person, living or dead, who would it be? One person, living or dead, who would it be? 
Uh, I'd go with my grandpa, uh, who was a, he was a POW in World War II, and he passed away when I was a sophomore in high school or freshman in high school. So like I got to know him some, but um, I'd love to pick his brain if it you know, wouldn't be too traumatic for him about just everything, like his life journey, his experience. Like the, there's been a lot of history that's been passed down through our family that um, you know, we get exposed to. Plus, I just you know he's my grandpa. I love him, so I'd love to sit down with him and and chat and catch up and you know, pick his brain about everything. So yeah, def- definitely my, my grandpa wakes dead. That's a great answer. Jerry, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. It was so great hearing all about your amazing basketball career. Really glad my uncle Matt didn't steer you away from the game. <laughs> no, I do have to give my uncle credit. He gave me, when he, when he heard that you were coming on, he gave me a lot of inside info on you, made you know, all the research a lot easier. He's a big fan. And he said, you're an even better person than a player. And I would have to agree. Man, I'm surprised he, uh, I'm not used to the kind of like friendly, happy-go-lucky Mr. B. I, uh, I'm going to have to tease him about this next time I see him. Oh, you should. No, but it was great talking to your basketball career. And now your career as a teacher and coach, you're doing amazing things. Keep it up. Thanks so much, Bridget. I really enjoyed um, hopping on, and uh, I wish you nothing but the best. All right, everyone. That was my chat with Jerry Wickstead. Hope you enjoyed it. It was great talking about all the success he had at Dickinson. He really has a great basketball story. Wishing him nothing but the best as a boarding school teacher and coach. I think he needs to lighten up on the homework, though. I'll be back soon to speak with another outstanding athlete.